Well, it's an opportunity to share with you and talk with you again. And um, I'm enjoying my series of studies now looking into the book of Hebrews. And if um, you uh, are following this particular message and uh, didn't hear the previous ones, then you should find somewhere because I'm in the third chapter of Hebrews and the first two chapters are extremely interesting and lead into this. And I would just simply say to you also that we'd like to keep in touch with you. And if you haven't given us your email address, we would appreciate uh, your address so we can pray for you and contact you. Right, now Hebrews chapter 3. Now, Paul, and I will repeat what I said in the previous messages, Paul is very clearly here not speaking so much to the church, but is referring to the Jewish people, the Hebrews. And it, yes, it does relate to the church, but you have to understand that most of the other epistles were more directed at the church um, this one is very clearly written to his own Jewish people. And remember, Paul was a Jew of uh, the very highest level, uh, <laughs> very high. Uh, anyway, he starts off by saying, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. <laughs> what a wonderful way to start. I would challenge you, fix your thoughts on Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the beginning, the ending. He is, he's everything. I mean, to us as Christians, it's not, it's not religion, it's not faith, it's not just God. It's Jesus, the Son of God, who we know and relate to. And that's how he continues, because he says, Jesus the apostle and high priest whom we confess. That's quite interesting because he's using the word apostle, which of course related to the apostles who were the senior leaders um, in the life of Jesus and in the early church. But he also refers to him as the high priest. Now, the high priest, of course, was very important in Jewish tradition and Jewish religion because he was the one who stood between the people and God. And the significant thing is that when Jesus died on the cross, if you remember in the story, I'm sure you've read it, that simultaneously with the death of Jesus on the cross, nothing to do with the tomb, simultaneously with his death on the cross, it is said that the curtain or the veil in the temple which separated between the people and where the, only the high priest could go behind the veil, that was torn into from top to bottom. Not bottom up, from top to bottom. Very significant. God doing it from the top, man not doing it from the bottom. So what happened is this. It was so symbolic that Jesus was to become our high priest, in effect. So his position in ministry to us um, as Christians, as well as to the Jewish people, is he has replaced the high priest. 
And I'm using that word because, unfortunately, today too many religions employ priests, but Jesus is the priest, the high priest. And then he goes on in verse 2. Paul says, he, that's Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him. Now, I, I like this. Um, by the way, I'm using, um, uh, at the moment, I'm using the New International Version. I have to make this clear because I normally prefer the authorized, but this is the New International Version. Somehow, I think he makes it get clearer. So he says that Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him. So here we get a very clear illustration that Jesus was not just the Son of God, but was appointed to come to become high priest and to become an apostle, an apostle being an ambassador, a, a, a messenger. So he was faithful as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. So the faithfulness of Jesus is likened to Moses' experience because Moses, you know, he had a very unusual life. He lived three lives. <laughs> I like to joke about this a bit because I, I've li I will have lived three lives. He spent 40 years. Uh, he was rescued from the bulrushes by Pharaoh's daughter, spent his first 40 years in the king's palace. Then because uh, he had an argument with one of the Egyptians and killed him, he was then banished to the wilderness, fled to the wilderness, and for 40 years he kept his, she his father-in-law's sheep. That was his second life. First life in the palace, 40 years. Second life in the wilderness, 40 years. And when he was 80 years old, he met God. You know the story, the burning bush. And while he was out in the backside of the desert, he saw this bush, which was on fire, but wasn't destroyed. And God spoke to him. So he was to spend the next 40 years leading the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt and leading them to the promised land. Now, I see a very, very strong similarity here with Jesus, because Jesus was called um, to, like Moses, take us from the world of sin, Egypt, through the years and bring us right to the point of the coming kingdom. It's very interesting. Just as the ministry of Joseph, uh, uh, Mo, uh, ministry of Moses, and by the way, he wasn't even allowed to enter the Promised Land, but he, for forty years, he led the children of Israel through the wilderness. So, in the likeness, the ministry of Jesus as an apostle and a high priest. Let's not deal with the rest of his ministry, but his ministry as an apostle and a high priest is to bring us from the moment of salvation to the moment when we enter the kingdom. Right. 
And just as Moses was faithful, he did the job. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't easy because the people, as we'll see in a moment, turned against him, grumbled, and they were always grumbling and complaining. So, yeah, I think sometimes, unfortunately, we're guilty of that, and we need to be careful that we don't grumble and complain. So, Jesus was faithful as Moses was, but... Then Paul goes on to put it into a slightly different context. He says that just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house, so for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Got it? Yes, I know, because as a matter of fact... Uh, or 60 years ago, I, I built my house. <laughs> I know what it's like. Yeah, I built it and I still live there. But the fact is that what um, Paul is referring to is that the work of God, the kingdom of God, is in this case like a house. God builds everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in his responsibility, his house, leading the children of Israel. And just as Jesus is responsible, God, who is over all, is the builder of everything. Yes, he did. He created everything. I mean, the Bible is absolutely clear. I don't know why some Christians question creation. God created everything. In fact, the description of God, our God, is the God, the Lord God, who created heaven and earth. Right. So then Paul goes on in verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. Now, when he's saying, when Paul is saying that he was testifying as to what would be said in the future, what it means is this, that the life that Moses lived was to be a testimony. It's not what Moses was saying, it's what Moses was living. And, you know, I, I get into arguments with some people. In fact, earlier today, I've been in quite a theological argument with a group of people. But at the end of it, I, I had to shut up and move away because they are talk, 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 and they don't do anything. And I had to simply say... I'm not interested in the talk. I'm interested in the action because the most important thing to me is what I do. It's not just what I say, it's what I do. And um, that's exactly what Paul is saying, that, that Moses was a witness by his obedience and in his life he did what God commanded him. He led the children of Israel right through, including crossing the Red Sea, right through into the Promised Land. So he then goes on, because he's likening this to Christ. In verse 6 he says, but Christ is faithful in a different way, faithful as a son over the whole of God's house, and we are the house if we hold on by, to our courage and our faith, so that 
We are the house of God if we hold on. I'm going to come to that in, in, in a few minutes because um, we're using here Israel as an illustration, and I'll come back to that. So Christ as a son is responsible for God's house, and we are God's house. Do you get that? In other words, God has appointed Jesus to be responsible for us. Can you think of it that way? God has appointed Jesus to be responsible for our salvation, just as Moses was responsible for the children of Israel for 40 years. God says Jesus is responsible for us. And just as Moses had to be faithful and was, so Jesus is going to be faithful in looking after us till we're entering into the kingdom. Lovely story, lovely picture here. Paul is very expressive, but I find this the, the New International Version puts it clearly. So, um, we are the house that Jesus rules over if we hold on. Now, then comes the warning, because in verse 7, it comes to the warning. So, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now, Paul here is very clearly speaking to the Jewish people, because you know that there was a rebellion. In fact, there were two rebellions amongst the, the Hebrew people. The first was when Moses was on Mount Sinai in the desert receiving the Ten Commandments. What were the rest of them doing down below? They were rebelling against God, lost their leader as they thought, and they made the golden calf, which was the image of an Egyptian god. So they turned away from worshipping Moses' god to worship the gods of Egypt. Oh, 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 that's just the one bit. But then when you read the Old Testament, you have to find out all the grumblings and complainings of the Jewish, of the, of the Hebrew people. I call them Hebrew people, which is what Paul is doing. And then what Paul says is this, that the 40 years that they spent in the wilderness was the time of testing. Mm -mm. which means that your experience from the time you receive Christ to the time you enter the kingdom is a time of testing of your faith and of your life. And what he's actually referring to here is the fact that after only 40 days, and, and you know, people don't realize this because if I... If I ask you the question, how long did it take the children of Israel to get from Egypt to the Promised Land, you'll say 40 years. Yes, it was 40 years. But in actual fact, they were on the borders after 40 days. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. They actually completed the first part of the journey in 40 days. And then what did they do? They sent out 12 spies to go and spy out the land. And those 
12 spies, they went out and they spied and saw, and they came back. And then the report of 10 of them was, oh, it's a wonderful land flowing with milk and honey, and they brought back the grapes, you know. But they said, the trouble is that it's full of evil people, and we are afraid we can't go in because they will stop us. Only two of the 12 spies actually said, if God is with us, who can be against us? Come on, boys. We go in in faith. But the people, when it came to the vote, voted to support the 10 and not the two. And as a result, the people of Israel had to spend 40 years in the wilderness. Why 40 years? That was a generation. And actually, if you read down here, you'll find they died. Because here, in verse, uh, verse 8, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. This was the question of the spies. During the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me, that's God, and for 40 years saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. They've not known my ways. Verse 11, God says, I declared in my oath, uh, an oath in my anger, they will never enter my rest. And so the reason they traveled 40 years in the wilderness was basically they died. So those who doubted at the end of the 40 days and didn't believe the two faithful spies, but believed the 10 who were unfaithful and doubting, they didn't enter into the promised land. This is a serious issue. Verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Hmm. Brothers, Paul is saying, make sure that none of you is full of unbelief and sin, and he says here, it's sin is unbelieving, that turn away from the living God. But in order to keep yourself, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you can be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Oh, boy. The scripture says the devil is going around like a roaring lion eating people. <laughs> Literally, he says, the devil is like a roaring lion going around eating people. Yeah, I'm quoting the Bible. Yeah. And it didn't put it quite like that. It says devour, but what it means is eating them. And the danger is that the weak Christians can be deceived by the devil. Oh, yes. If you're not following the Lord closely, you can be deceived by the devil. And that's sin, because we have to hold fast to our faith. So he says in the next verse, verse 15, as it has just been said today, 
And that literally means in Paul's words, he was speaking of today to them and today to us. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Do you know, the thing that distresses me is not so much that I'm dealing with unbelievers who are coming to Christ. The thing that distresses me most is the people who still really, although they're Christians, don't actually believe the whole word of God. I believe, and Paul says it, the Bible is the inspired word of God given for instruction. And when I was a boy at school, I was learning from my father enough to be able to confront my unbelieving teacher at school. And one of the things that I had to say to him is the Bible is clear. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Sorry, that's the Bible. In fact, in the end, it convinced my teacher. Oh, yes, because he gave his life to Christ. And what I'm saying is this. The challenge to the church is you can't take bits of the Bible. There are too many people who want, like this bit, like this bit, and, well, I don't understand that, don't want that, don't want that. I'm sorry. You take it or you leave it. You, can only, you can't take part. You've got to take all or nothing. I'm challenging the church, and I'm challenging you. All or nothing. That's what he's really saying. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Because if you refuse to accept the truth of God's word, it's rebellion against God. Come on, let's get down to the truth. I'm sorry, I'm not mincing words. To refuse to accept the truth of God's word is rebellion because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Come to verse 16. Who were they who heard and then rebelled? Who were they who, having heard and seen and crossed the Red Sea and come out of Egypt, who were they who rebelled? Were they not all those whom Moses led out of Egypt? The whole of the nation had rebelled against God. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? It Wasn't it those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? That's blunt, isn't it? Who was he angry with? He was angry with the generation that died and whose bodies fell in the desert. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter into his rest? Hmm. Those who disobeyed. So you understand the need for faithfulness, and in the next chapter, and you need to follow me in the next chapter. I'm not going to do it now. Um, it's I've taken my time. But 
we can see that there was a reason why this generation could not enter the promised land because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief, says so. Verse 19, so we see that they were not able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. Now, I'm challenging you. We, you and me, are due to enter God's kingdom, whether we're alive when he comes back or dead. doesn't make any difference because the dead will rise and we're going to be together. But the only ones of us who can enter that kingdom are those of us who live and die in faith in God's word. Do you understand? Only those who will live and die in faith, accepting the power of God, can enter the kingdom. Do you understand now why Jesus tells the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins? I'm not going to go into details on this now. I might in the next chapter. But it shows a divided church in the sense that those who had no oil in their lamps were those who had once known and had failed the test in the wilderness. God bless you, but it's important that you listen to my next message. Very important, okay? God bless you. I'll talk to you again next time. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation. We would like to give you a free gift. David Hathaway's Prophetic Vision magazine is available free of charge. All you need to do is ask for it. This faith-building resource will show you the path to revival in your life and ministry. To receive this free magazine, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash magazine. God has a plan and a purpose for you to fulfill. Through faith, you will see miracles, heal the sick, and your prayers will be answered. In David Hathaway's two new books, A Faith Beyond and Power Your Inheritance, you will discover that with God, all things are possible. Order these books today. 
visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash shop.